0: Well, good morning again. A few years ago, I was um, traveling for for work, and we had a um, connection layover type thing, and I think it was the Toronto um, airport. And um, the guy, a coworker that I was traveling with, I guess because, you know, he probably flies a lot more than I do, but he he had gotten access to one of those, like, VIP lounges in the airport, have you guys ever had that experience before? It's like this set, you know, separate space with like comfier chairs and free food and nicer food, and, and it's just like, you know, it's overall more quiet uh, place to wait in an airport than just out in the, uh, in the general public. So he goes, hey, I got this access, let's, let's go. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm not, I mean, I'm not gonna sit out here with the regular people, if I'll go with you into the VIP suite, right? And so we kind of, we get in, we sit down, we go to this like side room, and I look up, you know, we get settled. I look up across from me, and I'm like, man, who, who is that? Like, I, I know that person. Who is that sitting across from me? And so we're sitting there for like an hour and, you know, waiting for our next flight. And I keep like trying to like sneak a peek at him and then like Google people on my phone, like to be like, is that him? No, that's, is that who that is? Without like creeping him out a little bit, you know? And I, just, I can't place who this guy is. So, you know, after an hour and a half or so, somebody from the airline walks in, comes into our room and says, um, excuse me, sir, we're, we're ready for you now. And this guy packs up his stuff, and he, he gets up, and he, he walks past us. And on the way out, my, my coworker goes, I just want to say hi, you know, and I just let you know, I really like your movies. So I'm like, I, I knew it. Like, I knew this was somebody, right? So he leaves, and I go, I was like, Ted, who, I knew that was somebody. Who is that? He goes, well, it's Richard Gere. And I go, oh, of course it's Richard Gere, right? You know, like, that's who it was. I knew it was somebody. I'm not like, I mean, come on, I'm not like a Richard Gere fanboy or anything, but like, I'm like, for the past hour and a half, I'm sitting like six feet across from like a very famous actor, right? In the VIP lounge. So you're just, you know, so when you have, if you had that moment of like being close to celebrity, it kind of like wells something up in you, right? Like, you know, maybe I'm as important as he is because we were in the same room together, right? Um, but, you know, it's also an unfortunate uh, fact of life that not all people are treated the same, right? I didn't get an escort to the plane right, to where I was going next. Like, how many people in the airport you think that day got a personal escort from the airline to their final destination? Not many, probably, right? So we know that it's a fact of life that not all people are treated the same, that celebrity, money, social status can get people access to certain perks in life that the most, most of us never get to experience firsthand. You know, I think that's probably not something that's just unique to our culture. Like some level of that has probably existed in almost all cultures over the course of history. And if you think about that, I think what that starts to reveal about our fallen human nature is that we all have this tendency, this leaning of our hearts to want to, to elevate and show favoritism to some people over others. And while that may be true of our, of our fallen nature and it may be true of, of just what's normative in the world... As we're going to see from James chapter 2 this morning, it really has no place in the life of a follower of Jesus. And what we're going to see in this passage is that a life changed by the gospel, a faith that's in motion, would have our view and our treatment of people be flat, not one that elevates some and pushes others down. That's what we're going to see in James 2 this morning. If you have your Bibles, if you turn with me there, we're going to be in verses 1 through 13. Of the words on the screen as well. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. The word of the Lord says this, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, While you say to the poor man, you sit over there or or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court, Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. And so James starts uh, this passage with a very straightforward statement, right? Show no partiality. Don't do it, right? So what is partiality? Like I don't know if that's really a term we use a lot. So let's let's define it real quick. Partiality is unfair bias in favor of one thing or person compared to another. Right? It's it's the act of giving or withholding honor or love, affection, hospitality, friendship, mercy, kindness or service to people based on their external attributes. And so James is telling us out of the gate that part of living a life of faith, part of being a a hearer and a doer of the word, is that we don't do that. As followers of Jesus, we don't show partiality. As Christians, we're not to treat others uh, based on their economic class, their age, their weight, their clothing, their skin color, their gender, or their attractiveness. All those external attributes, right? We don't show favoritism or discriminate based on those things about a person. And so true to form, James is simple, straightforward, and to the point. Don't show partiality. Don't do it. But thankfully, he doesn't just leave it there. He starts to kind of unpack the reasons why we should not show partiality, right? And so he uses this illustration, this example of how a rich man and a poor man are treated in the gathering and the assembly of these believers, and I think in this illustration, this example that he's using, there's, there's at least three things, three whys as to why we are not to show partiality. Number one is that it makes us the judge, it dishonors the person, and lastly that it's a sin. So we're just going to take a quick look at each of those three things this morning. So par- showing partiality makes us judge. Verse four says this, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who loved him? So when we show favor or discriminate based on um, you know, somebody's external factors, we're, we're making a judgment about their worth and value as a person, right? We're making a judgment. The problem with that is that we are terrible judges. The text even says, it says, you become judges with evil thoughts, like, we, you and I, we, we misjudge people and circumstances all the time, don't we? Like, okay, let me ask you a question. Would you rather be rich or poor? Think in your mind. Or would you rather have friends that are rich or poor? Rich friends or poor friends, right? See, I think one of the reasons why this example is so good is because it's something we can all relate to. Like, if we're honest with ourselves, like, I'm not talking like ramen noodle college kid poor, right? Like, poor, destitute, like having nothing. Are we going to pick that, or are we going to pick riches? If you're honest with yourself, I think we're all going to say, no, I'd rather have the riches, right? But what we see in this text is that God has chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. So what what is he getting at? What does he mean by that? Well, I think you know, those that are materi- materially poor, they have this unique reliance on and faith in God that is really hard for most of us to really understand. Like anybody who's spent some time in a developing country has seen this in people firsthand. You've experienced this in, with people firsthand. Like in the middle of their extreme desperation and need, they sometimes can find this deep faith and joy and reliance in God. And so he's chosen the poor to be rich. And yet as we answer that question for ourselves and what James is starting to expose here is that even though that's the case, the leaning of our hearts would be to to spend time with, to elevate, to show honor to the one with greater financial standing rather than the one who is rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. You know, it's not just the poor and the rich that we judge either, right? Right? Like, don't, don't we make little judgments and show partiality, like, on a daily basis in our comings and goings of life? I mean, just think about the, the interactions that you have with people or your observations of them. Like, homework assignment. Go to Walmart this week and spend, like, 30 minutes to an hour just walking around and observing how your heart responds to the people that you come in contact with, Right? Like, don't we just, we just kind of make judgments as we go through our daily life? Like, how people dress, how they walk, what kind of car they just got out of, what, what color their skin is. Like, did that guy really just put 10 bags of candy in his cart? Like, dude, the, the lean protein and veggies are over here. Why don't you try some of that stuff, right? Like, we see people, we make observations, and we draw judgments from them. But when we show partiality, we are making a judgment based on what we see and we're not judging correctly. We don't make good judges. Only God can rightly judge a person, right? Like we can only see the outward factors of a person, but he sees through the outward appearance into their hearts and who they truly are. Uh, in First Samuel 16, uh, Saul's time as king is coming to uh, a close, and God sends uh, his prophet Samuel over to the house of Jesse to anoint a new king over Uh, Israel. So he goes, go to Jesse's house, and I'm going to pick a new king for Israel among his sons. We read this in verses 6 and 7. It says, when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Right. So Samuel's decision was going to be based on the outward appearance and most likely the, the birth order of Eliab because he was the oldest son of Jesse. But God says, no, I'm judging on the heart, and he picks Jesse's youngest son, David. right. And just like he, he chose the non-obvious choice in David, so he's chosen you and me. 1 Corinthians 1 would say this about us. God doesn't choose people like you and I would choose people, right? you think back to the last time you played a pickup game of basketball growing up, right, or football at the park, and you had two team captains, right? Who do the team captains pick? It wasn't the slowest, you know, unskilled person, right? They're picking the strongest, the fastest, the most talented, but that's not the way that God picks and chooses his people. It's not what this verse just said, And the same thing is true when he chose his disciples. Like those 12 guys, like what what a mess in some regards, right? Nobody would be like, I'm going to choose these 12 to go change the world with. But that's exactly what Jesus did. Transformed their lives and changed the world. So we look at people one way. God looks at through the outward uh, appearance and into their heart and chooses people for himself. So show no partiality because We have no idea what God is up to in the hearts and lives of people and how he's choosing to use them, and we make terrible judges. And secondly, the second thing that we see is showing partiality dishonors the person. Uh, Verse 6 says, But you have dishonored the poor man in choosing the rich man over the poor man. It's so important for us to remember that every person on this planet is created in the image of God, right? Right? which means they are of great worth and value to their creator. So much so that he, he emptied himself of heavenly riches and became poor for our sakes so that we may become rich. That's how valuable people are to their creator. And so when we show favoritism to one person over another or we discriminate against a person, we are, we are dishonoring them is what this passage says and we are dishonoring the one who, who made them. And like for sure, this is true about anybody that we, would, that we would do this to, right? But specifically when it comes to believers is what this passage is getting at. Remember, this, this letter from James is written to the scattered believers, right? So the context is not that they are just maybe showing partiality to those outside the church, but to their brother and sister as they are gathered in the assembly. So this is happening inside their local gatherings. We're going to have differences And be different as we gather together as believers, right? Like it's actually one of the beautiful things about the kingdom of God playing itself out in the local church. I mean, we should want the church gathering of people to look different from any other gathering of people that happens. I mean, this is the rich and the poor, the old and the young men and women of all skin colors, hands lifted high, side by side, worshiping the same crucified, risen Lord. Amen? Like that's what a gathering of believers should look like, united at the foot of the cross. And we should expect and welcome and embrace a diverse set of external attributes as the people of God. We should not want to all look the same or think the same. James is saying, don't be a people that elevates some and pushes others down because of your external differences. And the world does that. We expect that in the world. May it not be so among you. When we show partiality, we dishonor a son or daughter of the king that we're going to spend eternity with, I think is what he's getting at. And then lastly, showing partiality is a sin. Uh, Verses 8 through 11 says this, if you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So this this royal law that James references here it's this is the this is the whole law of God right revealed to Moses and then fulfilled in Christ the essence of which Jesus summarizes when he gives the two greatest commandments that so we're to we're to love God with all of our heart soul and mind and to love our neighbor as ourself right that's the essence of this royal law that James is getting at it's interesting if you look at Leviticus 19 both the command to not show partiality and the command to love uh, your neighbor are like three verses apart. They're right there together. Verse 15 says, you shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. And then 18 says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so James is saying, like if we think we're doing a good job loving God and loving our neighbor, but we're still showing partiality in our lives, we're actually not living out the royal law and what's more, we are a lawbreaker. Like verse eight says it bluntly, doesn't it? If you show partiality, it's a sin, and you're a lawbreaker. And so I think the point that James is making here is the same point that's made other places in Scripture. If you even break one small part of the law, we're guilty of the, breaking all of it. And it's funny, like he he puts this like what we may consider like a little sin next to the big sins, right? Like don't show a favor to somebody because it's kind of like murdering and adultery, right? You're like, what? All it takes is one small sin to break the whole law. So he says, don't show partiality because you sin. Okay, that's a lot of don'ts so far. I'm ready for some mercy. Anybody else ready for some mercy? That's exactly where James takes us next, praise God. With the don'ts established, he then turns his attention to how we should live then in response. In verse 12 and 13, he says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. And this this phrase, this law of liberty, means that even though we aren't tied anymore to fulfilling every single law of the Old Testament, because Jesus did that perfectly, and he fulfilled the entire sacrificial system for us on the cross, we don't have to follow every rule specifically, we are still tied to living out the essence of the law, this law of liberty, loving God and loving others, because of what Jesus has done for us. Galatians 5 says it this way: "You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to flesh, for flesh, but through love serve one another." So the heart of, of living out this law of liberty is a love for others. Living with a love for others is evidence of true faith, of faith in motion. And I think specific to this passage, the the way that we love other people is by showing them mercy. That in light of, of how merciful God has been to us, we should only be merciful, not judgmental, towards others. We live out the law of liberty by extending the same mercy that we've been given. I came across this kind of summary of this idea that I just wanted to share with you guys because I loved it. It says, Mercy triumphs over judgment because it displays undeserved loving grace and compassion, which reflects God's gracious gift of salvation. Christians are called to show this same mercy and grace to others. If you remember back to um, last week, I think it was one of the closing songs, uh, we sung that song, The, um, the Wonder of the Cross. It's a great song. I can barely make it through that song, singing it. But the chorus of it goes like this. It says, May I never lose the wonder, the wonder of the cross. May I see it like the first time, standing as a sinner lost, undone by mercy and left speechless, watching wide-eyed at the cross. May I never lose the wonder, the wonder of the cross. You know, I think part of the wonder of the cross, that idea in there is that instead of the judgment that we deserve at the cross, we get grace and mercy, amen? And so a life in step with the gospel, a life where with faith in motion, it clings to this, it clings to the wonder of the cross and in response, we are left undone, we are left speechless at the mercy that was shown us there and we allow that mercy to triumph over the judgment in our hearts and in our lives. The antidote for judgment, partiality, favoritism, discrimination towards others is that we would be undone by the mercy shown to us and we would extend that to other people mercy triumphs over judgment so good so question as we close for you this morning is how do you need to let mercy triumph over judgment in your life and your heart as you interact with people how do you need to let mercy triumph over judgment so, maybe something to consider is like maybe, maybe you need to try to regain that wonder of the cross. Like maybe you need to, to just be undone again by the grace and mercy that the Lord has shown you there. Or maybe just as we close in a prayer and song this morning, we just ask the Lord to reveal to you is there somebody I'm, I'm showing partiality to in my life? either in this room or outside of this room. Like, who is that, Lord? Is there anybody I need to go to? And rather than showing them partiality or, or elevating them or, or pushing them down, Lord, I would just need to extend mercy in my relationship with them and ask for forgiveness. Let's pray and ask him for his help in this. God, we thank you for um, our time to be together this morning, Lord, as, as your, your ransom redeemed people coming from, I mean, all kinds of backgrounds and places that you saved us from. God, what, what a privilege to, to come with all those differences to the level foot of the cross, to lay that all down before you and say, we're here together. Uh, despite our differences, despite our external attributes, despite how we see certain things in the world, the one thing that binds us together is the grace and mercy that you've shown us on the cross, Lord. Lord, would you undo us again? Would you leave us speechless as we reflect on what you did for us on the cross, Lord, and would you have that, that um, just that mercy would reign and rule in our hearts and would just overcome the judgment and the partiality that we may be showing to other people, Lord. God, we need your help in that. That is a work, as a miracle that only you can work in our hearts. Would you show us that this morning? Would you show us where we need to grow in that? And would you overwhelm us with your mercy and grace towards us so that we may, that may overflow out of us and into the people around us. That's for your beautiful name we pray. Amen.